Hey gang, welcome to episode 223 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro Studio, aka the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, uh, this is a fun one, uh, Sam Dubois, who is the creator of The Avenue Adventure, which was an alternate reality game uh, that happened in Albany, California over this past summer, uh, joins us to talk about both The Avenue Adventure and how he got started in making immersive things. Um, Back with The Albany Haunt, uh, which he created when he was 13 years old and continued to make for five years. And Sam is now a student uh, in his second year at Cal Arts, which is where we talked. And this is this is just this is a delight for me uh, because it's uh, getting to look at the next generation of immersive creators today, tomorrow, today, which uh, gives me great joy. So before we get into the episode, just a few quick things. Of course, we're going to check on the Patreon in a moment. Um, but also just like a, a general check-in with everybody. Uh, it's November now. We're, we're racing towards the end of the year. It's traditionally a quiet time for us, but there are things popping off. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in VR land. I know because I keep on getting pulled into uh, VR press junket things <laughs> like right now, like it's a pretty heavy season for that. So I now know what the rest of my life looks like. Heavy live experiences in October, heavy VR experiences in November. Try to sleep in December. Uh, this is the rhythm of the life. Uh, and of course, uh, I'm and the team are working on getting the summit together, uh, which, as we always know, everything moves more slowly than we want. But we are going to make some announcements about how tickets are going to work. Uh, that should be happening next week. Um, I'm trying to holding out. I'm trying to hold out till I've got some programming locked down, um, just so we have things. But but things are starting to click into place. Um, and there's going to be some uh, news about some satellite events that we are planning uh, that we should be able to talk about in not too long. And then switching over to an entirely different side of things, uh, switching over to the world of Leia, the League of Experiential and Immersive Artists, which is the industry group that uh, that I've been a part of putting together for the past couple of years, which for the record is separate from No Persinium. People people go, but no, you're in both things. I know some things are for one and some things are for the other. Uh, we've got some, uh, there's some stuff that'll be announced soon. Uh, a few hurdles have finally been cleared and, uh, we're ready to roll. So exciting. Um, I'm getting charged up. Also, um, it is Star Wars season like never before. And, uh, Vader Immortal, uh, three comes out next week. Um, and that, that hits on our world. And there's just a bunch of other Star Wars stuff. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm giddy. I'm giddy, 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 uh, but also um, looking towards all the work that we need to do, and there is a lot. And that work is being facilitated by our lovely Patreon backers, who right now are my sole stable source of financial support. So with that as a note, we have four new backers to announce this week, Kyle uh, Kian, Alexander Gerholtz, Casey Kasten, and Jonathan Wagner. Of course, if I butchered anyone's name, I am sorry. It is it is uh, the, the horrible thing that I do. Please write in and correct me. Seriously, I want to say your name right. Um, we are up to 311 backers, which is dope. Um, and uh, $1,772. Uh, we're just six $5 backers away from our next goal of $1,800 a month. Um, and very, very far away from the goal of never having to ask people for money ever again. But um, <laughs> I just made a deal that'll keep the... Am- no, um, that's Lando Calrissian. I wish I had his luck, given how Lando's luck goes. But also, Lando made his own luck. No, mm, not going to do it. You know I want to. Um, yeah. This conversation we're about to have with Sam Dubois um, is just fun. I just I enjoyed this a lot. Um, Sam has been doing this stuff, uh, like I said, since he was 13, actually he started when he was 12 and it opened when he was 13 and, 
uh, Albany, California is the town right next to the town that I went to high school in. So it's up in the Bay area. Um, and all of this stuff is just, you know, near and dear to my heart and Sam's a great guy. Uh, and yeah, um, like I'm like, I'm like, I'm like more than twice Sam's age, which is something I don't like to think about. Uh, but nevertheless, it gives me heart that, um, this, this, this has a bigger scope, a far bigger scope than, uh, than just weirdos like me. It's also weirdos like Sam who are about to meet. <laughs> All right. I'll, uh, I'll see you on the other side. Sam, thank you for uh, uh, letting us into this uh, recording studio here in in CalArts. Probably shouldn't have said that. Maybe we'll get in trouble. So we won't. Um, we're talking because I've kind of, kind of like, been following your career since you were. This is going to sound weird. Thirteen years old, uh, even though I've never seen your work, because you started out making a home haunt in your hometown of Albany, California, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then recently you did something called the Avenue Adventure again in Albany. And now you're a student here at CalArts. Yes. How old are you now? Just if you don't mind. I'm 19. You're 19. You're 19. I think you might be the youngest person we've had on the podcast. Um, but this is also taking me back to my youth radio days uh, and, and, and talking to young folks. And you've actually been a subject of, as you were mentioning. Of yeah, at 13. Uh, I think it was called 13-year-old um, makes elaborate haunted house in parents front yard or something yeah something along those lines and you did that for how long for five years for five years so you did the home haunt for five years and then uh the avenue adventure well how about you describe the avenue adventure and maybe for the people who don't know solano uh kind of explain yeah. what solano avenue okay. in albany is because i'm i'm super familiar with solano avenue yeah. so um firstly just explaining solano so essentially solano avenue is a street um it's mostly in Albany, a little bit in the city of Berkeley, which are both cities in the East Bay uh, near San Francisco. So about 40 minutes from San Francisco. If you're city- lucky. Yeah, <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> Used to be 20, but, you know. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah. Um, so um, imagine a city, 18,000 people, pretty small Albany, and that was the subject of my project. Mm-hmm. And what that project was was, like, the closest term for it would be an ARG. It was a month-long adventure for those who were willing to participate, entirely free, um, in which they interacted with characters and a plot and in turn learned a lot about the history of Albany, like real history, real people, like fictionalized um, dramatic situation, I guess is what I'd call it. You you did this uh, between your freshman and sophomore year, or yes, okay, between my freshman and sophomore year here at CalArts. So so that was like your your summer project. What was 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 this school related? Or you were just like, oh, I've got three months. I better <laughs> I better keep myself busy and out of trouble. Yeah, it it was a mix. Um, it was about like during winter break that me and my best friend Kai, who have created created Albany Haunt together and some other projects, um, we really decided. We've been dormant for a bit. The last thing we did was an escape room in our history teacher's um, classroom. Like, we got to step it up a notch, do something to rival the Albany haunt, something new, something exciting. We'd been seeing a lot of immersive theater um, and slowly discovering ARGs, and we kind of came up with this idea. Um, And pretty much immediately after that, we realized that, like, there was technology involved in this that we had never even touched. And we didn't really want to be learning computer science. Like, that wasn't really... We had a lot of things we wanted to learn and explore with this project, but that wasn't it. So we brought in my friend, um, Joey Reese hill who goes to Oberlin and studies computer science. Um, he's a fellow sophomore. Um, and, yeah. And the Avenue Adventure was born. And you got you got the, the Chamber of Commerce of... of- Albany. And like Albany's got like 18,000 people. And as, an, as someone who went to El Cerrito High, which is the, the town next door and kind of like the spiritual rivals, even though like they never 
play each other in esports. I think. I don't know. I, didn't, I think I'm, you guys are way too good. Well, well, I, I'm far detached from the, yeah, from okay. the, the Gauchos at this point, <laughs> even though I can remember the mascot. Uh, and they they tore the high school down and rebuilt it, so I have abs- almost no emotional attachment to it at all. But um, we used to refer to Albany as the one square mile. Like it is this yes. like it is almost like a perfectly square mile uh, sandwich between Berkeley and El Cerrito. I would like to say we have 15 um, square miles of bay that oh, okay. is part of Albany. Okay. Doesn't do much for us, but we do like <laughs> we're technically like 16 miles square. It's just most of that's water. Uh, and we have nothing to do with it. In all my years, I've never heard anyone just tell that about Albany. I'm good. I'm finding this. No one else is going to find that funny. I'm finding it hilarious. Um, but like, but Solano, Solano is this like strip of shops, right? Yeah, it's and a like, business district, mostly very small businesses. Yeah, um, there's, we have a Safeway. Um, well, it's like as big as it gets. That's as big as it gets. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like there's there's some good pizza, there's great Indian food. Like Solano's very homey, you know. Yeah. Like it feels like it's the closest I think you get in other than Alameda to having a small town feel in the East Bay. Yeah, right. Um, Which I also grew up partially in Alameda. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, and it would, so it's just it's so it's you know smack dab in the middle of everything, but it's got this like kind of kind of what a, what a, what a town should sort of feel like. So the ultimate city. So how how did people who found the Avenue Adventure like who who wound up playing who were getting into it like like what 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 and what was it about other than like the historical stuff like what was the story like. Uh, so that in terms of who found the Avenue Adventure, um, we had a lot of time that we were planning it out and that we were like going under this idea of um, this is not a game, um, mm. which is a quote that I had read about. And like if, if you go on the ARG Wikipedia, it's like this is a concept. And essentially it's like you never reveal the fact that what you're doing is a game. And like in terms of as the creators of it, that was the thing. And I got really into that because I think that was really cool. Like at some point, most most immersive theater acknowledges that it's a game. All haunted houses acknowledge somewhere that they're a haunted house. Um, But there's an opportunity with ARGs to not do that. But then actually I ended up at the Immersive Design Summit. Um, Thank you to um, Meow Wolf for sponsoring me. Um, But anyways, and there I got to meet Sean Stewart, creator of... um, a lot of major ARGs such as the beast um, and a ton of others that I'm forgetting the names of right now. But he kind of explained that what he meant by this is not a game was entirely different than how everyone had taken it. (laughs) He meant that this is not a game as in it's about the story. It's not about the mechanics. It's not about solving puzzles. He wanted people to focus on the story and less on the puzzles. That was his like direction to his players, not, hey, we're, I'm going to never reveal that this is a game. He also kind of explained to me that to him this trope was done, and I kind of thought about it in this trope of like people now kind of know what an ARG is. Luckily and not luckily at the same time, people in a small town like Albany are a little more distant. Like I had very few people knowing what they were getting into that were local. Oh, interesting. So, like, folks, even though, like, the Bay Area had often been kind of the test bed, because, like, Jejun and Latitude. Jejun, Latitude, but those are San Francisco. And yeah. EPS, which I guess is Jejun. Yeah. Well, it's like the, 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 spirit, the spiritual yeah. successor to, to that series. Um, so even then, even then, people didn't know, oh, yeah, it's, that's... Because, yeah. like, like, I mean, when I think of the East Bay, and, and granted, like, you know, I'm, I'm from the 90s. Um, when I think of the East Bay, I think of it as, like this place filled with well i think of like game stores and comic book stores and people who are are you know into like the the other side of the street in life and and it's it made so much sense when jejun popped up in the bay it's like where else would such a thing like be able to thrive so it kind of surprised me like people like a lot of people like just didn't know yeah like people in albany somehow is very different than if you go to berkeley it's a whole different culture. Those people really understood what was going on. <laughs> Luckily, half of my game happened in Berkeley, so that was good, and we were able to bring in a lot of players um, and, from around the Bay. And I'm pretty sure Sam doesn't mean just like the the part of uh, Berkeley that's just at the top of Solano, but there is this tunnel that if you go through, you arrive in Berkeley, and then once you're there, it's it's a different universe. So, yes. Yeah. 
like yes. that, that side of Brooklyn. Anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm East Bay nerding out right now. I'm yeah. really Albany sorry. is not yeah. at all. Con- well, we're gonna cut like this. No, right? no, there's not at all. There's no, no cuts. There's, no, there's never <laughs> cut. We just, we just turn <laughs> the microphone on and talk. If I did cuts, I would obsess that would over. Take a lot of time. It would take a lot of time. And like oh my, my first job out of college was like editing, like you know two hour long conversations between Silicon Valley executives and their sales force uh, down to 15 minutes and removing every um and ah. So like I am, I am You're pro- done with that. I'm done with that. I'm also programmed to like, if I start editing these things, like it becomes this, like it, it would take five hours to edit 45 minutes. Cause you would just, I would become obsessed. Oh no. So then I better be like on top. No, no, don't worry about it. Like I said, it's just a conversation. <laughs> yeah. We turn microphones on and then let people yeah. hear what we talked about. So you were going to say about Berkeley though. Oh, yeah, so Berkeley, they have board game cafes, they have game stores, they have an entire university, University of Berkeley, of California at Berkeley. Like, th- that group of people is very into these academic kind of formats of storytelling. Like, in terms of, like, I guess not academic, but, like, how would you describe an ARG? And it, like, the demographic. You have to be pretty nerdy. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I mean, academic's not a bad call in some ways, because like, I know a lot of academics are super into it. I mean, it, it takes, it's, it's about this kind of group puzzle solving and this sort of, this kind of meta mind, you know, like all these people kind of connecting together and taking all these different angles on things. Although of course, and, and let me see if you found this, like, I know that folks like Sean, uh, you found that, um, you know, when one of these games was running, the players almost always completely get ahead of the creators. So when you you made this, this is your first ARG. Did did you find that once it went live, that the players were just like knocking through what you were doing, or had you prepared for that contingency? We were pretty prepared in terms of like, it was we knew it was going to take a month, regardless. Um, in the end, we ended up cutting a week off of it, but that was something else. Um, but like we had, like everything was very gated, mm. and I think to some extent, that's something in the future I kind of want to look at taking away. Mm. Um, is making something that could be done in a month or could be done in a day, um, and that is equally fulfilling. But what we had was it was very much like you would do a set of tasks and you'd find out about an event, a physical live event. It was really about going back and forth between these live events and activities where you'd kind of deepen your understanding of these characters. And like one of our biggest goals was just to see like how much you could introduce a character without meeting them. Mm. Because that one-on-one time and that time live with an actor is what is the most valuable in immersive theater. So how can you set that up so that person isn't giving their backstory, but is instead like actively participating with you? So, you know, it's almost like a little bit of a, a third man situation. Like you've heard so much about the character that when they arrive, it feels like an arrival and, yes. not, and not just like, oh, who's that? Yeah. And, or even you've conversed with them in mm. the case of some of our characters. What, what, let's, let's dial it way back to Albany Haunt. What, what got you down that pathway yeah. of, of doing a home haunt when you were 12 and 13? Uh, so there's a few things for sure. Um, one thing, there's a well-known haunt called Pirates Emerson in the Bay Area. Um, it's at a local fairgrounds. I had, um, contacted those guys and said, hey, I'm 12. I'm ready to help you guys build this haunted house. Let's do it. And they were like, hey, we, you need to be a little older to do this. <laughs> and to me, that just like wasn't the right answer. I was like, hey, I'm ready. Like I have a hammer. Like Let's do it. Um, and then partially I had been to Disneyland I'd seen kind of this idea of a themed environment and that really intrigued me and this idea of an attraction as almost like a mechanism people can go through and like I'd always been very mechanical and like enjoyed Legos and all that stuff so normally you're building to achieve some kind of motion here you're building something to achieve a desired impact which is fear or in my case like kind of amazement and stuff like Fear was not always at the front of my mind to the extent most teenagers making haunted houses are. Like a lot of them, it's like, we don't care black walls, like black plastic. It's more about spending our money on the chainsaw yeah. than it is spending our money on the like realistic scenery. And for you, it was about creating the scene. Yeah, setting the scene and really creating something that inspired awe um, 
for me and my fellow teens as well, like something that we could all work on together and be like, what the heck? We just like made that like. So how long, how long was your, your build period? And I imagine yeah. like you got more elaborate from year to year. Yes, definitely. So it started out front yard. It was like about 400 square feet of structure. And that I started building in July. But when I say I started building, I didn't know how to use a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. So I bought a two by four, like three two by fours in a sheet of Luan. And I was set out on making my first wall. Um, And I just kept like this nails kept bending in half and just it wasn't going well. But the nice thing about working out in my front yard is people would walk by. Um, so somebody would walk by and they'd give me a little ounce of information and another person like, like, Hey, hold it the other way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, so I was able to like rapidly prototype just with advice from people on the street. Um, <laughs> it's, kind, it's kind of like asking for help on the internet, except the sidewalk. Exactly. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. So I eventually learned that like a two by four is not two inches by four inches, which I was building this outhouse and that really like it ruined the outhouse. Like all of my dimensions were off. Um, <laughs> But I kind of started with the smaller things and worked up. And by the end, I had found a few people who could help me. Um, my best friend Kai and a few others build it. And I'd found some people who could act. And we put on a haunted house. Like it was a farmhouse that I had built with like six or seven rooms. And I was 13. And looking back at it, it was crazy that how any many, of that was happened. How many people came through that first year? I would say that first year... Attendance was probably about 500 people. 500 And we people. had like two nights of it. So 500 people in two nights. nights. That's fantastic. Um, There's yeah. immersive theater shows in LA that still don't get 500 people in a run. So <laughs> yeah, already, most. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so you're already. But then again, but a bit, comparing, comparing a haunt to immersive theater is like is an unfair comparison because yes. people are, people are pr- progressing through a haunt at a pretty rapid, rapid clip. Um, so how by the time you were done, by the yeah. time, by the time the last time you, you did it, yeah. How many how many people elaborate. were working on it? Um, I would say we had about a dozen and a half or two dozen people helping build, um, just teenagers like me. And then, luckily, I'd made friends with some people, and I got some like really competent people who like were experts in various fields. Like I had a guy who was the head of automation for the distribution center that distributes like ninety five percent of America's pots and pans. So like he came in and he was like helping me make all my like animatronics and stuff. And I had like some makeup artists and various people who had built professional haunted houses in the past helping and like essentially teaching us. Like I created this like environment and I, some, and sometimes I was teaching them and they were teaching me. It was a very fluid environment. I mean like a, um, a school for haunters almost. Exactly. A school oh. for haunters, but also people that like, Haunt, none of my friends like they were like haunted houses were really their thing they just liked this like i think it was about the social atmosphere and the yeah. atmosphere of learning to actually do something with your hands like the number of people i taught how to use a drill or an impact driver is in the dozens like all these teenagers don't know how to use power tools or hand tools or anything these days sometimes sometimes i think that's a good thing other times it's like oh yeah but like a, a practical trade skill I mean, it's, not, it's not the worst thing maybe when, when the apocalypse comes you know like we'll need people to know how to build stuff so um so you go you go from you go from the haunt to you wind up at cal arts yeah. so uh, walk me and, and so what are you what are you concentrated on here so here i'm a uh, um student in the design and production um, department of our school and I'm focused on technical direction and um, experience design and as well production management to the extent that can fit into my schedule um, and how and how what what landed you here I mean were, were you set it did you set out when you were looking at a school and said I know I want to be doing the stuff I've been doing already, I know I want to be doing experience design. I'm, I'm just, I'm curious what your arc is that gets you, because yeah. you, you. I was really into the idea of experience design and the idea of whether it be working in theme parks or just working in things, things that were heavily themed and told a story, um, but that people were interacting with at a closer level. So I ended up looking at a few schools and I was at USC, a school that I didn't really understand the cost of during the interview. Um, <laughs> when they told me, they're like, hey, you should go to CalArts. Like the, two of the um, people I was interviewing with who later admitted me to Cal- to USC still said, hey, CalArts is like perfect for you. Mm. 
and that kind of sent me and I'd already like heard a little bit and that kind of sent me off to Cal Arts, I w- guess. What were you were you interviewing at like the film school or something at USC? I was or? interviewing um for their theater school. For their theater direction. school. Okay. Yeah, because that well, and yeah, I know like some of the, the, the professors there work on like really large event type shows. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, they've got they got they've got some heavy duty stuff there, which is something I didn't I didn't know. Like I knew about USC's film school, but I didn't know that the theater school had that kind of pedigree going they have on with a it. Big money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Not the same as here. Like, yeah, yeah. Here we're still like a fancy expensive art school, but it's definitely not as apparent as a student. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit scrappier. But yeah. But I mean like it's in, scrappy in a good way. It's like yeah. I felt uncomfortable walking on like the manicured like through the manicured gardens of USC and like looking at the fancy brick like this is a place where stuff actually happens. Yeah. Not where it looks like all pristine all the time. Well that's my every time I've come to Cal Arts I've always I mean, one, I lust after the modular theater because it's yes. just such a... Amazing. The modular is amazing. So for yeah. the, for those... Well, tell people what the modular is for those who don't know what the modular is. Uh, so the modular theater, it was one of five theaters built... Um, of its type. Of its type by this one company. And essentially, everything about it is modular. So it starts at the floor, and the floor is four foot by four foot... A, four, a grid of four foot by four foot tiles, essentially, of platforms. And those can move up and down ten feet. Yeah, they're all they're all um, in pneumatics. Yeah, on pneumatics, which is a very weird way to do it. As a person who is like deeply into pneumatics, <laughs> um, so essentially you fill this piston up with air that, and the pistons are in our library, um, <laughs> <laughs> so you can hear it when you're in the library. But anyway, so the piston fills up. You put a pin in it, and then you drop the whole floor back down, and then you have it set. <laughs> um, oh my God. At whatever height it's like, it is it's like setting a weight rack at the gym basically. exactly so you couldn't move it ever during a show right that would be like horrifying. insanely dangerous yeah horrifying you'd launch dangerous. someone up or <laughs> just drop the floor out from underneath them oh my god i did not um, know that about the modular that it was set up that way yeah like, and then so then it's uh that's the main thing that makes it modular. There's right. some walls that can kind of move on the outside well, i mean the i mean theater. i knew that the floor and i didn't realize yeah. it i didn't realize it was gonna be like a Thunk. I don't think <laughs> I it's not originally was... how it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but now they're like pretty clogged. So you'll be filling it with air, filling it with air. And essentially the air is a giant spring. And eventually it releases and you have about like at least a thousand pounds of steel just launching. Through <laughs> the um, oh my God. And we call those poppers, the pistons that do it the worst and are the loudest. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I want to be there the day that the, 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 the stage I'll have you over. Great. That's what I'm yeah, Give me a heads up next time. I need to see this in action. Um, so, okay. <laughs> Nerded out about a stage for a second there, but, but you, so you, you, before we recorded, you mentioned specifically, there was a moment that you, that uh, flipped you over. Oh yeah. And the other thing, so I'm at Cal arts, um, and I had gotten in at this point and I was considering like, is it worth the money? And I ended up in a class with Julianne just, um, who, as you guys probably know, is the creator of the speakeasy society, uh, long-standing immersive theater company here and it was the class was called creating immersive experiences which like to young me was the still even I could identify it as broad but was like the ultimate class and I was in there with Julianne as three different groups pitched their immersive experience that they were going to complete in the next couple weeks and like talked about where they were at and I was just drooling at all these ideas I was like these should be real things not just class projects and that was when I realized, like, here class projects could be executed to the nines and be exciting pieces, if that makes any sense. It does. I mean, are you, sorry, are you working on stuff? How do things work here in terms of, um, are, are you doing a similar thing, pitching on projects and, and, and building things? Or are you kind of like, does that come later down the road for you? Like, where, where in your college career are you, I guess? Yeah, so I'm in my second year, um, the first year is, in theory, kind of a year for you to explore what you want to study with. Not, and that sounds very broad. It's exploring what you want to study within your program. So it's within theater design and production. Right. I could see, oh, do I want to do lighting? Oh, do I want to do sound? Do I want to do set design, building st- stuff, stage management, whatever it may be? Um, and then this is the first year that I'm really going deep into like the curriculum of, in my case, mostly technical direction and a little bit of experience design. Our experience design program is something that's very new. Mm. It started, um, I think, the year I came. 
Oh, wow. So it's like, and it kind of exists and it kind of doesn't. It's like this running joke of like, oh, are you an experience design major? Because we're not sure if that's a major yet. <laughs> like it, in theory is, but it also isn't. It's like got to be enough people trying to be it in order to. Yeah, make there's it a, definitely a lot of people that want to do it. Figuring out what that vague of a title actually means in terms of an education yeah. is a challenge that I'm somewhat happy I'm not faced with. <laughs> <laughs> like we have uh, awesome um, assistant dean or not assistant dean. I don't know what her position is, but Shannon Scrafano, she, who you had at the, um, she was on the panel at the summit. Okay. The, with all like the social justice. Oh people. yeah. On the impact panel. Impact so, panel. Yes. Yeah. There was, Pardon. there was, there was a lot of people on the panel. So that was a big panel. It was a big panel, which it, a panel that I was terrified because of how big it was. I was like, Oh, this is never going to work. And yet it worked. So uh, we were very, very, very happy with that. Yeah. Um, but, um, but so anyway, so Shannon, so uh, yeah, Shannon is heading up our experience design program and just talking with a lot of people, whether it be at theme parks and in immersive theater about what they think that program should be. Mm. I kind of have my own opinions of like, I think experience design is truly a directing program. And then it almost becomes that you can be a lighting designer for experience. If you want to work in that realm, if you want to work on immersive content rather than traditionally stage theater, then you have that opportunity. But it's really about having a few people that are directing in like somewhat organizing these theater shows Versus last semester, we had a fun project where it was like 25 or 30 um, students all coming in trying to direct a show together that they were also executing. Whoa. Long story short, it didn't work out very well. Yeah. But it was an exciting <laughs> thing to watch <laughs> unfold. <laughs> exciting is one word for it, I imagine. <laughs> um, Truly, like, ideas were everything from, like, making a giant ear to, like, launching paint out of air compressors or air tanks um, at walls to just like everything was on to clowns mouths that you walked through and then had laser shows. Yeah. And this was all, these were the ideas or these were things that were executed on. These were all ideas. Nothing was executed. (laughs) (laughs) We had $4,000 and spent it on nothing. We didn't spend, we, it still exists. Oh, good. There's ways Um, to spend $4,000 on nothing. So uh, thank God it still exists. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, it's just, it's, it's, I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm just kind of trying to like see, well, what, I mean, what would you want, what would you want your career arc out of here to be? Cause you're, you're in the technical direction with a little bit of experience design, but like, are you, are you hoping you land up working for theme parks somewhere? Are you hoping to like. Yeah you know, maybe start up a a company. I mean, you've been, you've led projects for so long. Yeah. I think leading projects is definitely where I want to be. Um, I'm realizing that I really thrive on like logistics and like constraints that actually mean something. I'm not a huge fan of like randomly imposed constraints on projects, Mm. but when, when it's a constraint that's like, Hey, this is the size of the room we have, or Hey, this is the amount of time we have to do something that really gets me going my creative problem solving and my ability to like work with others and find solutions with them. So I'm kind of figuring out where that is that I want to do it. Um, theme parks are exciting. Um, but immersive theater and work that's a little like further from, I guess the mainstream is also very exciting to me. Why is, why is that more attractive? Just because, Uh, just because it's off the beaten path or is there something else to it? I think it's, um, like when things are driven entirely financially, you end up with often a different end result than if something is like out of a passion or out of a, like the work we see. Um, and also it's just like, there's a lot less risk taking, mm. um, when things are backed by billions of dollars, um, such as like Disneyland and stuff. Not that I wouldn't love to work on Disneyland. Yeah. Um, to all you Imagineers out there, please, <laughs> um, contact Noah and he will let me know. Um, but in terms of like, I also don't see that as where I could start out doing any kind of management. Mm. These, those are big environments. I, I think there's more opportunity for me to be managing elements of smaller projects and then just growing the size of the project rather than growing my position. Yeah. Like a lot of people, 
they seem to exit CalArts and they seem to be at big companies, Disney, Universal, whatever it may be, doing relatively like smaller things at the lower end. And I think that's really great because you get to climb that ladder, yeah, which is kind of the traditional way of doing it. I would rather climb that ladder in terms of scope of work. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I know, I know what you mean. Like, I mean, one, one of the reasons why we keep doing what we're doing is it's, it's way more interesting to be able to set your own course or, or go solve the problems that you see need solving or explore like the, the, the blank space that, that, you know, is, isn't there, even though oftentimes like, from a practical standpoint, like that's that's crazy, right? I think the <laughs> yeah. only thing I've got going for me is that journalism is so dying right now that like, what am I going to go do? Work for Deadspin? Oops, that's gone. Also, I don't do sports, but like, um, you know, just like thing after thing is failing. So I was like, ah, I guess I'm stuck here. Stuck with no first Stuck, stuck, stuck doing this thing. Yeah. Um, and and I'm you know, kind of grateful that I'm stuck doing this thing because it's just, it's, I don't know, like. Yeah, like what is it? What is it about immersive for you? What you know? I think I've, 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 I feel yeah. like I've already asked that question in terms of like your career, but like, but like, like what? Yeah, is really exciting. Yeah, I think part of it is like, it's not like it. it my friend um, Phil Tippett, he's uh, kind of like mentored me in terms of prop making and stuff. Um, he describes like the themed entertainment industry as the Wild West. And he's like, film used to be the Wild West and special effects, but then, like, it kind of it got figured out. And I feel like immersive entertainment is so vague and so broad that it, um, it is still wild and there is still opportunity um, for small companies to put on the biggest shows and stuff. Like, if you consider Punch Drunk and, like, the creator of the biggest immersive show of all time in comparison to the creators of the biggest movies of all time, or even the biggest theater shows of all time, they're tiny. They're the size oh, yeah. of an ant. Yeah. But it's still small and new and exciting. And But also just, like, I don't, like, suspension of disbelief for me is always something that's challenging. Mm. Like, actually, like, I kind of like giving that job off to someone else. I like, I want somebody else to, like, somewhat be in charge of suspending my disbelief and getting all the distractions they can out of the environment. Um, so when I'm seeing a proscenium show and I'm looking at that proscenium, I'm like, why is this even here? You know, and you start counting the lights. I mean, like if I'm bored in a show, exactly. I or, will start counting like, oh, there's 17 source fours up there and four park hands. And like literally just to keep myself from just start screaming at the actors, I will start like looking for how many plugs are in the grid or, or like, even where if it's are the a good show. I'll look at it. Like yeah. I'll look at the number <laughs> of cabinets in a line array or whatever it may be. Um, but with immersive, I'm fully captivated and entertainment that can like fully garner someone's attention. And also that's taking them off of like these screens that we're all stuck in and like putting them face to face with other humans. Like that's exciting. And I think that's going to solve a lot of our problems that we're kind of facing together. I think this is one of the few ways I can be involved in addressing global issues if I can be. That's something that keeps on being on my mind of late because, I don't know, I was, this cat I know, Damien Madre, who's been on the show, and I think I've been on his show or something like that. Yeah, we've both been on each other's shows. He posted something, um, I think one of the magazines was doing stuff back in September around the UN Climate uh, Conference, um, and it was it was with one of the um, ecologists who's like, I guess knows more about energy transfer systems than like anybody else in the world. And he's kind of super pessimistic and is basically saying we've got to like essentially stop growth, like growth and like economic growth and environmental sustainability are like diametrically yeah, opposed. Right. You know, like this is a planet with limited resources, you know, like, yes, the sun is always giving us energy, but like the, the ability for the system to process, you know, and turn things into plants and animals and yada, yada, yada. Um, and I just keep on thinking about like when, when you strip away everything, when you, when you strip away, uh, you know, some production design needs, when, when you strip away the technology, if, if you can get it, this down to its core, it's about people playing with each other yes. and, and about people creating moments for each other, 
uh, even like using what they they have. I mean, one of the things more that was very exciting about the idea of Meow Wolf at the start in particular was that they converted a bowling alley into the house of a total return, right? That there's most this, definitely yeah. that there's all these spaces. I don't know. I was like driving around out here and like saw like yet again, like a Kmart was taken over by a spirit Halloween store, like somewhere <laughs> and it wasn't around here or like, yeah. you know, it was in Burbank and like the Burbank Ikea, the old one is now just like a parking lot for the Teslas or something like that, which is sad. Cause I look at that Ikea. I'm like, you know what you could do with that Ikea? I mean, it's that you Ikea is so much. With that Ikea. Ikea is bigger than, than the house of eternal return. Right. And there's just all these like, Way yeah. all these empty spaces or you go into the mall and it's like, it's a Tuesday and the mall is dead and you're like, there's just this space here that yeah. could be utilized and transformed and people could be put into it. And suddenly we're not, I don't know. I don't know. Like it, it, it I hear what you're saying on, it feels like that this is a path that could contribute to a more sustainable vision of reality. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. And just a path to get people on that path, even, even if like immersive shows aren't like the new, like aren't more, it's not that they're more sustainable, obviously than TV. It's that like, not financially anyway. Yeah. Or, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's but that, in terms of footprint. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. It's that like actually seeing like to some extent in a lot of immersive shows, you can see the resources put into it. It's pretty, mm. they're pretty transparent. Um, and that's something, but I think it's more about just like connecting with other humans and realizing that like, we don't need to block each other off into our own like separate structures all the time. Like there's a lot of things that don't need to happen. We can coexist well, you know? Yeah. It's working towards mutual coexistence. Um, but I am 19 and I do not have all the answers, nor do I even have like sound like ideas or goals I'm working towards. I just know that we're not on the best path. That's all I'm going to say. It's my diplomatic statement. It's still, it's just, it's just good to know yeah. that, that I feel old right now, but if you, it's good to know that, that folks are, are thinking that way at, at your age. So, oh God, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> just to say, okay, boomer to me, we can have Okay, it. boomer. <laughs> oh, Damn. Yeah. I, I am Gen X. That is one of the memes I do know about. <laughs> wow, you're that, and that's a new one, sir. You're up on it. <laughs> Art school, it takes a little longer for the memes to get to us. D- d- you'd think so, like everyone. I guess, yeah. I mean, folks here aren't necessarily glued to their their devices in the same yeah. way because they're, they're we're amazingly out of touch. As much as like we're we claim to be like a like you know, constantly evolving, constantly changing, like adapting to the outside world, kind of like that's what artists are, like they're responsive. The workload here and like the amount of focus that we all have on our projects eliminates, like I haven't looked at the world news in like three weeks. Like any any news. So I could tell you anything. You could tell me anything. (laughs) And I and you you'd have to look and in this day and age you'd have to look it up. Even if yeah, it would have been an hour since I'd looked. I'd have to look it up. Well there's that too. But I could tell you something really absurd. No. You Um, could. (laughs) (laughs) Afterwards we'll we'll have some (laughs) I'm rubbing my hands together. Um Sam, um what uh, other than school, what's like? What's next for you? Are you gonna do? Are you already thinking about what next year's summer project is? Or yeah, or I'm really the- thinking about next summer. I think like to some extent, last summer was amazing. I got to be with three high school friends and like create something entirely from scratch with a rather small budget. I kind of want to see what the other end of it things is like this summer. Mm. Work on something hopefully a lot larger in scope. Um, with people that have done it before and like learn from them. So you're looking like join on to someone's work. Yeah, mo- yeah, definitely join on and maybe bring some of my expertise in. Like I'm very good. Technically I can draft and build sets if that's needed. I can weld, I can do those kind of things, but really like joining in as a member of a team, creating something that I think is exciting. Um, if anyone there has any summer opportunities please contact me well there you go in the immersive world there you go like if you want someone who's been doing this probably longer than you have (laughs) 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 sam is ready for his for his next big summer blockbuster so sam 
uh, I'll cut out here. We'll, we'll, we'll probably chat some more after I turn okay. the microphones off. But like, thank you for uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. Once again, I want to thank Sam Dubois of The Avenue Adventure for being our guest on the show today. Um, that's 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 the show. Uh, it is uh, it is a busy, busy, busy November, as it turns out. Uh, and I got to go pivot off to the next four things. Uh, I actually, in the middle of, of, of doing this part of the podcast... I, I did an interview with someone else and now I'm back. So I've, I've just done kind of an hour long interview with somebody, not Sam, uh, but my head is in a totally different place. So I have no idea what I said at the beginning of, of the recording session here. Um, that, you know, that, that was a funny thing. I was expecting, uh, November to be, um, uh, maybe just hyper-focused or maybe chill. Mm, it is, it is neither hyper-focused nor chill. Um, you know, we're we're in an we're in a we're in a strange place right now, um, in that some some long held dreams are starting to come true, um, but the 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 pall of kind of a a trough of disillusionment I think is it's upon us, um, and I just want to state for the record that, um, because because I I I. I I get it. I get it when folks are looking around and being like, oh, but what's next? Well, one, look, um, there are still some big structural issues uh, on the live side of things and some big structural issues on the virtual side of things uh, that make making this work more difficult than it should be or than we'd like it to be. Um, technical challenges and, and, and res- mostly resource challenges and for lack of a better term, install-based challenges in terms of allowing things to kind of like hit. Does that mean that, um, I'll tell you what it means. I'm not going to ask the question. I'll tell you what it means. If you're looking to make a quick buck, uh, in this space and extract a bunch of value. If you're looking to extract a bunch of value here, um, there's, there's nothing to extract. You're, you're not, you're not going to, to do what you want to do. If you're looking to create value, there is ample fertile ground for creating value. Uh, there's a whole rant in my head, uh, that I'm going to unleash at some point soon, just about, uh, and, and this is ironic coming from someone who constantly begs all of you for money, uh, about the ways in which we monetize each other. Uh, the ways in which we find ways to be sustainable uh, and that line between sustaining and being sustainable and as we're creating this work and the ways in which we are, 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 are monetizing and we're, we're, we're stuck in these big systems. We, we, we live as, as Bong Joon-ho recently put it, we live in this country called capitalism and that requires certain behaviors of us in order to uh, exist and continue and thrive and succeed and rise to new challenges. Um, there are things that as artists can be done to address the larger issues. There's things that can be done as a community to address the, the sustainability issues. Um, the, the idea that we are in a hermetically sealed system, um, which is what I think everyone for everyone who's sort of feeling that uh, we're we're in a trough of disillusionment, or that uh, you know, but but is are there enough users of of the headsets? Is the LB thing really going to work? Uh, you know, can a show other than Sleep No More Then She Fell like be sustainable? Uh, you know, why 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 isn't it happening yet? Um, if you just look at any one vertical you're going to feel that kind of shakiness and panic. If you take a step back and look at the whole field, um, there's a lot to be excited about. And there's a lot of new territory that's still being discovered. This is the thing about being out on the frontier. At times it gets hard out on the frontier and you have to decide, are you going to hunker down? And, and hunkering down may mean not producing so much work, right? Taking more time, taking time off, resting, letting the field lie fallow for a minute, re-engaging with the creative juices, and then delivering something even better, right? 
Um, anyway, not all of this stuff is fully formed yet, uh, but it's top of mind and continually top of mind because there is some really exciting work in the live and in the digital in our space. People are beginning to find their voices. We're still building the vocabulary for this stuff. And folks are just starting to string together complete sentences and paragraphs and working their way up to the novel. And I would hate for everyone to turn tail and just say, well, I'm not a millionaire yet. Um, so I'm just going to throw in the towel. Um, and you know, sometimes I, I think that's, that's kind of a, a vibe out there. Um, and, and it can be extra hard when, you know, companies with resources, uh, don't necessarily value what's being done in our space in either of our spaces in our full domain, the same way that we do because they can't put a dollar number on it uh, because they can't see how to extract more out than they put in Um, because they're not necessarily thinking about creating value. They're thinking about extracting it. And so keep that as a filter. Are we creating value or are we extracting value? I know which one I'm doing. Um, And I know what I will continue to fight for. So let's go create some amazing things. Um, I'm here for you for that. Get me the word uh, and we will do everything we can. Also, if anyone has some lucky numbers, I'm going to go play the lottery. All right. um, I'm going to extract value from other people. Look, we got a Robin Hood, this sucker, right? Rob from the rich, give to the poor. That we happen to be poor, hey, even a little bit of advantage for us. Until such time as we're no longer poor, and then, you know, share the wolf. All right. All in good time. It'll all make sense soon. Trust me. The pieces are all going to be there. It'll be like a very easy puzzle. Um, That's it for now. It's after 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Uh, This thing's finally going out. It's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long weekend. Let's do the credits. The value of No Persinium is created by the generous strategic gifting of our sustaining backers and all of our Patreon backers. But our sustaining backers go above and beyond each and every month. And right now, those sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston. Sam Kingan, Samuel Mustry, and Sydney Guillory. Thank you all. We are creating something here that's pretty special. Um, and this outpost in, in the long dark. If you want to help our cause, and I know so many of you already do, patreon.com slash no proscenium. Do help us get the word out. Get the pics, pics of the week out there. Get everything immersive this week out there. Get... Uh, share the stuff that matters to you. Uh, Even if you like it a little bit, sharing it really helps us because remember the algorithms are stacked against us. We're not pumping in advertising dollars onto these platforms in order to spread the word. Um, We cannot play the same game, but we can do it organically. And that means you helping us spread. So everyone is an advocate. You're doing, uh, you're doing so much of the good work. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find everything we do at noprosinium.com. Check around in the show notes for more. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show.